everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Boy, I love this time of year. It is always exciting for me when we know that spring is just right around the corner and uh, we're going to be approaching into these these summer months. And one of the things, things I also enjoy about this time of year is, you know, sort of uh, I'm a basketball guy and the NBA season is kind of, uh, you know, coming around the corner to, to the end and moving into the playoffs. And, and boy, just this week, you know, you've heard and as we've all heard uh, so many different things that has sort of been been taken away or suspended for, for a, a little bit of time. And uh, man, I'm just, when I heard the other night that, you know, the NBA was going to be suspending its season, I was like completely upset. I was like, oh my goodness, this is just crazy what's happening out here and it's perfectly understandable and then I'm thinking well you know it's just the NBA well I've got my you know my college basketball stuff I've got you know these conference tournaments that are going to be happening and so thinking well that's going to be this weekend I'm going to be able to take some time this weekend to be able to you know watch some of those games and and then that was canceled and then I'm thinking oh my goodness you know like not not the it's the NBA now it's the you know the Big Ten tournament and then you try to go out to the to the stores and you try to see you know what you can buy out there and then as you get out there you realize that there is no toilet paper no toilet paper to be found whatsoever and so you're going oh wow I mean how are we gonna be able to get work through this you know hopefully you stocked up you know within the last couple weeks and so you got the NBA in suspending games you have you know the Big Ten tournament canceled no toilet paper and then it just keep, continues to keep piling up, right? March Madness is is now canceled, and we're thinking, what in the world? Like, boy, this is just the most exciting time of year when it, especially when it comes to, to college basketball or sports, really, you know, in general. And and to think about the fact that there's going to be no, you know, March Madness, no, you know, college tournaments. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And I'm just like thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And then, and then you hear this week that there is a no school, no school for like a month, a month of no school. I mean, I'm telling you, I don't, what are we going to do? I don't know. I've got four kids, you know, and they're going to be now home for a month. And we weren't prepared for this. We weren't ready for this. Usually, you know, by mid-June, we can kind of mentally prepare ourselves for the fact that our kids are going to be home for a couple months, but man, to have that drop on us this week and to, and to figure out what are we going to do with with our kids and and uh, no no basketball, no college basketball, you know who who knows where you can find any toilet paper anywhere, and now there's no school, and then we come to a place where we are going, what do we do about the fact that you know now churches. Uh, churches are starting to, you know, to, to get canceled and churches are now starting to, you know, decide that they're going to uh, suspend, you know, what they're doing. And so, um, man, we're like, what do we do? And so we felt like it was just important that uh, that we uh, suspend church for a few weeks. But I tell you, this was the hardest thing for me. I mean, more than just NBA games or college basketball or no school, boy, the fact that we couldn't have our people, you, come out and gather with us, it was hard, hard, hard thing for me 
uh, to, uh, to wrap my mind around and to, and to really understand. And so isn't it interesting, though? I mean, it was like a tough week. Man, I was just not happy. It was just a tough week. And isn't that oftentimes how we think about happiness? We think about happiness in those terms. We think, boy, I'm happy because I can watch these games, or I'm happy because I can participate in this thing, or I'm happy because of situations or circumstances that, that come our way. But then when we lose those things, just overnight, it just seems like overnight, you know, all of these things began to drop, all of these things began to fall. It, it robbed me, it robbed all of us of our happiness. Why? Because happiness is a universal goal. Happiness is a universal goal. What's ingrained in us, I think, as Americans and ultimately as people, is that we are always in pursuit of happiness. And that's usually our goal. We want to be people that when we wake up in the morning, we just want to be happy. And then when something comes about in the day, that, that has the real easy potential to rob us of our happiness. Uh, bad news that you hear, bad reports, you know, is, uh, just, you know, even, even just poor sleep or, or, or situations at your job. All of these things that you can hear on a day-to-day on -a -day basis can ultimately rob us of our happiness. And, and that really messes with us. Why? Because it's our universal goal. It's our pursuit. And it's sort of ingrained in us. Well, that's not how the Apostle Paul felt. That's not how the Apostle Paul lived his life. His life wasn't about the pursuit of or the goal of having happiness. Because as you already know, happiness is, is futile. One moment, one bad report, one you know uh, disrupting news, life interruption, it can rob us of that. But Paul had a different perspective in mind. Paul, his goal was is that he wanted to have um, joy. And, and when you look at the scriptures, that's always what is our ambition, is, is to have the kind of joy. And the Apostle Paul, you know, in, in around 80, 60, uh, he was arrested and he was taken to, to Rome. And he was put under house arrest. And, it, and the scripture tells us, and we're going to look at that in a second. The scripture tells us that he was chained to Roman guards. And he was confined to this space. I don't know if you can relate to that right now in, in this moment, in this season uh, of our life where you feel like, you know, I'm sort of restricted of what I can do. I sort of feel like my freedoms are, are taken away. I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm just, you know, sort of confined to, you know, just being able to go to certain places. And it, and it can certainly, boy, that is a remedy for unhappiness. That is a remedy for anxiety and worry and fear. It's just a remedy for these things. And so the Apostle Paul, though, had an incredible perspective. He had an incredible perspective. And I want to look at Philippians. I just want to look at it because Philippians was a, a letter that he wrote to this church in Philippi. It was a letter that uh, he wrote, and, and, and yet he was in prison, yet he was you know, under arrest, yet he was waiting for, you know, a, a, his trial and because with the uncertainty of knowing what was going to happen to him, with the uncertainty of knowing whether he was going to live or, or die. I mean, can you imagine, you know, living in those and remaining in those times uh, of your life? Yet here's the way 
that he handled it. Here's the way that he describes his experience as he's writing this letter uh, to this church in Philippi. And it says this in Philippians 1.12. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, that his circumstances are the fact that he's in prison, chained to a guard, waiting trial, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So here is his perspective. He's like, even though my circumstances are not great, I realize that they are now turning out for greater progress of sharing and spreading the, the good news of Jesus. Verse 13, he says this, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, which is the, the Roman Guard, and to everyone else. And so he's saying, he's saying, not only am I, you know, is my imprisonment advancing the gospel, he says, I am chained to a guard. And, and every guard, as they rotate in and out through, through, the, through the day, I'm sharing the good news of Jesus with them. But not only to the guards, but even to the other prisoners, the other captives that are in this arrest state with me. He says, he says they all are hearing about the good news, the cause of Christ. And then he says in, in verse 14, he says, And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He's like, not only is my situation or my circumstance, you know, is it, it making progress in the gospel? Not only is it, you know, giving me opportunity to share the, the good news of Jesus to, you know, the guard that is chained to me and, the, and those, of, you know, that, that are in prison. He says, man, but it's, it's, it's giving others the courage to be able to proclaim this great news, proclaim the word of God with, without fear. He's like, it's just doing just this amazing work for God. Even though, I, it, it, trust me, it is not fun, you know, to be, you know, in prison. It is not fun to be chained and confined to somebody. It is not enjoyable to be waiting for a trial that determines whether I'm going to live or not. But yet, God is using this opportunity. And he even goes as far as to say this in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, whatever the results are, whatever the circumstances are, whether I live, it's going to be for God. Whether I die, that's gain to me anyway. He didn't let his circumstances dictate his emotions of whether he was happy or not. Look what he says in the next chapter in, in verse 17, Philippians 2, 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, so that's the way that he, he saw himself, that's the way that he saw his death. His death was a, was a drink offering. His death would be a sacrifice of service of his faith and his trust in Jesus. He says, look it, he says, I rejoice. I rejoice. Wait a minute, Paul. What, there's nothing for you to rejoice about. Your circumstances would tell you otherwise. Your circumstances would tell you to, to have fear. Your circumstances would tell you to have worry. Your circumstances would tell you to have anxiety. Your circumstances would, would, would tell you, you know, to, to walk away from faith. Your circumstances would tell you that God doesn't care. Your circumstances would tell you that God isn't paying attention. But, but Paul didn't view it in that way. He says, you know what, I'm, my life, whether I die or live or die, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, as a service of my faith, and I rejoice. And I share my joy with you all. 
And later in, in, in the end of his letter to this church in Philippi, he said this, and you've heard this before if you've been a part of church, he said this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. He said, man, no matter what my situation is, joy will not dictate, or joy will dictate my life. Not my circumstances, not my happiness, but joy will dictate my life. And whatever is going on, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. And that's what he wants for us. That's what he wants in the time where you feel restricted. That's what he wants in the time where you were uncertain of what the future holds and all of the uncertainty involved in that. In the time where you're just sort of confined to a designated space, Paul says, for me, for me, it's joy. For me, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. A couple observations. Number one, God's joy, God's joy is a byproduct of his communion. God's joy is a byproduct of his communion. Here's the deal, that for us, for us, our goal, our ambition should never be the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of pleasure. That's never the goal. And here's what you already know. Here's what you already know about life, especially if you lived life long enough, that you know that when your goal is the pursuit of pleasure or the pursuit of happiness, that it, will, it is always futile, that it will never satisfy, it will never fulfill. I mean, you've, you've maybe been a part of things where you're like, man, I want to just spend, 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 spend. And then the more you spend, the more you spend, you, you know you're, where you oftentimes, or we oftentimes find ourselves in debt, in debt. So we spend because we think that that's going to bring us happiness. But ultimately, the more that we spend, the more that we pursue, ultimately will lead us into debt. Maybe you're somebody like, I'm just, I love sugar. I'm just going to eat a lot of sugar. I'm just going to intake a lot of sugar. You know where you're going to find yourself? You're going to find yourself in a dentist's office with, you know, being with cavities. Like, here's what ultimately what happens to all of us is that we pursue these things. We say, I want more of this. I want more spending. I want more sugar. I want more, you know, um, cookies. I want more cakes. I want more ice cream. And ultimately, what is it going to do? It's going to lead us to, you know, poor health. It's going to lead us to even worse things, diabetes. Maybe for you, it's like, I, I just... I just, I think I feel better when I, you know, vent my worries and my concerns and, the, and I'm going to just worry, 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 worry. And then where does that ultimately lead us? It ultimately leads us to times of just anxiety that we can't bear. Here's what we already know, that the more we try to pursue, to pursue the things of pleasure, to pursue the things of happiness, that ultimately it never, ever satisfies. It never, ever fulfills. Why? Because God's joy is a byproduct of him, of his communion, of knowing him. It's a byproduct of that. And so our target is, our target is, is simple, is that when, when our target, so if we think about it in this terms, if our target is happiness, okay, if that's what our target is, I'm just, I'm aiming for happiness, I'm pursuing happiness, here's what we'll will ultimately be the result of it. We will be unfulfilled. We will be burnout. 
and we will be isolated. That will ultimately be the case. We will be unfulfilled. We will, we will experience burnout and we'll feel isolation. That's ultimately what is the result of us that pursue this kind of happiness. But when we pursue God, when God is our target, when God is our target, then what happens is this, that we'll have fulfillment, that we will have strength, and that we will have fellowship. This is what God is saying. This is what Paul knew. When he says, I, when my joy, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. He says, I'm not going to rejoice in my situation. I'm not rejoicing in my circumstance. I'm not rejoicing in this material thing. He says, no, no, no. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And God is my pursuit. God is my fellowship. God is my communion. It's God, and then as a result of that is joy that is fulfilling, joy that is full of, our, of strength, and joy that is, is rewarding when it comes to fellowship with one another. That's the kind of joy that, that Paul wanted us to understand, that it's, joy is a byproduct of knowing God and being in communion with God. David knew this. David knew this, and David tried the other approach in his life. David tried the, the approach of pleasure. David tried the approach of happiness, and then ultimately it led David to the destruction in his life. Ultimately, it led to David experiencing a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in his life. But at, at one point in David's life, David knew where his target was. David knew where joy comes from. And here's what he says in Psalm 16. He says, you, God will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. For David, he's like, for me, not the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of pleasures, but for me, it's God. And in God's right hand are pleasures forever. And in, in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And when I know that it's not my path, that it's God's path, that that's going to bring life to my life, that's what I'm pursuing. So the equation is simple. The equation for David is this. It's his path, not my path or your path. It's his presence. It's not anyone else's presence, but his presence. And it's his pleasures not any other material pleasures or worldly pleasures. His path plus his presence plus his pleasures equal a life of full joy. This is the, the equation. This is what will work for you. You need to know if you want joy in your life regardless of the circumstances, if you want joy in your life regardless of what bad news you hear, if you want joy in your life regardless of where you feel restricted or restraint, it's found in communion with God. He's the target, and the byproduct of him is joy. His path, his presence, his pleasures, a life of full joy for you. Second observation from Paul. God's joy is your choice. God's joy is your choice. Choice. You say, whoa, 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 I thought joy and happiness and pleasures and 
you know, I thought those are emotions. They are, they are. But, it, but, it, but ultimately, you could have those feelings and you can have those emotions by pursuing that and making a choice and a decision for yourself to choose God's joy. You can choose world's happiness, world's pleasures, unfulfillment, right? But God's joy is your choice. And oftentimes when we think about joy, like I said, we think about the emotions of it, the feelings of it. He says, no, no, no. And, and oftentimes we think, well, it must be a congenital thing. You know, it's like some people have joy and some people don't. Like, you know these people. You know these people that are just happy all the time, you know, full of enthusiasm, full of energy. And you think it's just how they, God made them. And I, God made me not that way. And, and, and they, you know, that's just the way that we think about it in those, in those terms. You know, you also, the other way we think about joy we think about joy in a way that we can catch it, that we can catch it. You know, just like you can catch the flu, just like you can catch a cold, just like you can catch pneumonia, and just like you can catch, I, I don't know, some other virus I can't really think of right now. But just like we think that we can catch joy, that's not how that works either. We think, oh, if I just, you know, saddle up next to somebody that has joy, then, you know, they're just, they're just made that way. They have, you know, they're just made up that way. If I can just get closer to them, maybe I can, you know, spend more time with them and then I can just catch, you know, that, that, you know, virus of joy that they have. I, I, and I can get some of that. Also, oftentimes we think of joy in those terms, but really, Here's what Paul knew, here's what David knew, here's what Jesus knew, here's what James knew, here's what those who brought us the story of Jesus knew, that joy is something that we cultivate. It's something that we cultivate. Here's what Jesus said about this, and we've been sort of in this uh, season of our church, we're talking about sowing seed into the good soil of our hearts, you know, the seed is the word of God, and we're sowing the word of God into the good soil of our hearts. Jesus said this, he said this in John 15, he says, I am the vine, so maybe if you've been tracking with us, you remember this, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And so Jesus said, when you're connected with me, when you're in communion with me, when the, as the vine, you are the branches, you're going to bear, bear fruit. And we've been talking about what that fruit is. Paul wrote about it in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit. He says, you're going to bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Then look what he says in regards to that. He says, these things, what things? These things, what things? These are you, as a branch, connected to the vine, you're going to bear fruit. He says, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy, so joy that comes from the world, no, happiness, no, pleasure, no. He says, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. He's saying, listen, joy is something that we cultivate. When you're a branch connected to the vine, it will produce fruit, and that will then produce fruit of joy, as Paul mentioned in Galatians 5, and Jesus mentions it here as well. Here's what James said, James, the brother of Jesus. Here's, here's what he says. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. At this point, we stop and go, well, that's James, right? Like, he's the brother of Jesus, of course. Like, that's not realistic in this life. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Like, what in the world? He says, here's why. Here's why, James said. Here's why. 
knowing that, here's what you, here's what you need to know, knowing that testing of your faith produces endurance. Here's James is saying, listen, you know why you should, when you go through various trials, why you should consider joy? Why you should consider joy when you go through some, some, some difficult things? When you feel restraint, when you feel restricted, when you feel like you're confined, when you're not sure what the future holds for you, and that takes your happiness away? James would say, Paul would say, Jesus would say, you need to know that you can rejoice even in those various trials, but you need to consider joy. It's, a, it's your choice to consider joy. Why? Because that's going to produce something in you. That's going to produce something. That's going to cultivate something in you that you couldn't cultivate on your own. So here's what it looks like. If we go through various trials, and what does he mean by various trials? It means all levels of trials, all different types of difficulties. He says this, from from little to big, he says that's what he's referring to. He says, but when you go through, whether it's a small trial or a big trial, you should always choose to consider joy because it's going to produce something. It's going to be cultivated in you. Just like Paul says it can happen when you, when you produce the fruit of the Spirit, when you bear the fruit of the Spirit, just like Jesus talked about it, James is saying the same exact thing. It will produce something in and through you. What does it look like? Here, here's, here's what um, where sort of our mindset is when we don't consider it all joy when we go through various things and we don't consider joy through those different things. Here's what we do. If we, if we will not consider it all joy, if we, choose, if we choose comfort over character. So if we think, you know, I would prefer comfort, you know, um, then that's when we will never consider it all joy. When we make the choice to say, you know what, I would rather have comfort over character, we're never going to consider whatever various trial you're going through you're never going to consider joy in that trial why because you want comfort over character and the, and and James is saying no 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 you should consider joy because it's going to produce character it's going to produce integrity in your life so he says i want you to consider joy and and he says we will not consider it all joy if we choose material over spiritual. If we choose to say, you know what? I want my stuff. I want my things. I want to buy more. I want to spend more. I'm going to eat more. I'm going to you know, worry more and, and on and on and on and on. He says, if you just choose material over spiritual, you're never going to consider joy through the circumstance. And, and here's the third thing. If we will not consider it all joy, if we choose present circumstances over future hope present circumstances over future hope so if we're just in the moment of this isn't working out i don't like this this doesn't make me happy everything's going away what am i going to do how am i going to spend my time how am i going to entertain these kids for a month if you're going through all of these things in your life you're going and you're caught up in the present circumstances and you're not thinking about what Paul thought about, what James thought about, what Jesus thought about. You're not thinking about a future hope that you have. Be why? Because outlook determines 
our outcome. Outlook determines our outcome. If our outlook is material, makes me happy. If our outlook is present circumstances, need to be better. If our outlook is comfort over character development, then that ultimately will be the outcome and will never, ever, ever will be burnt out, will feel isolated, and will certainly never feel fulfilled. So how you'll be when you consider it all joy, how you'll be when you consider it all joy, and this is where we all draw from the Apostle Paul as he's writing these letters. How will, how will it be when we consider it all joy? How will we be? Well, here's what we'll be. We'll be content in God's sovereign control. We'll be content in God's sovereign control. Paul said it this way in, in Philippians 4.10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Again, here it is again. He's in prison, right? Constrained, confined, can't go anywhere, future uncertain. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at least you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So he's just writing this this letter to this church and saying, you know, you've been concerned for me. You haven't had the opportunity, but now you've had the opportunity. And he says this. He says, but I want you to know something. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul says, I've learned. Boy, if we can get this, boy, we're going to consider it all joy. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. Why? Because I'm confident of God's sovereign control. Paul knew it, and you need to know it too, that whatever circumstance you're going through, it doesn't go past the throne of God. God is aware of all of your circumstances. And Paul, knowing that, Knowing God's sovereign control said, in whatever circumstance I'm in, whatever situation I'm in, I am content. I am content. And that's a great place for all of us. Then, when you're there, you can consider it joy. When you're there, hey, no matter what, God's in control. I'm going to still have joy. I'm not going to let this circumstance rob me of my joy because I'm cultivating it. I'm choosing God's joy. The second thing is, is this. Be calm in this light affliction, showing that there is no comparison. So he's saying, listen, for me, I'm going to be calm in this light affliction, showing, showing those who maybe aren't calm during this light affliction, that there is no comparison. Comparison of what? Well, here's what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For momentary light affliction. You know what he's describing this life to be? He's describing this life to be a momentary light affliction. You know what he's describing this season in your life to be? When you're not certain the future or what the future holds or what's going to happen next. He says, he says, I want you to look at it as a momentary light affliction. What is it doing? It's producing. It's producing something. This affliction is going to be producing something. Why? Because joy is a choice that can be cultivated, and it can be producing something. He says, so I want you to consider it all joy, James would say. Consider it all joy as you go through this light affliction. Why? Because it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
He says, yeah, listen, I, I, you just need to know this. This is important for you to understand. That your, your joy should, should d- determine and dictate and show that, that there's nothing that this world can throw at you. There's nothing that this life can, you know, can be agonizing over that compares to the weight of glory that is going to be revealed to us. There's no comparison, Paul would say. That's why Paul could sit in a prison cell in a dungeon waiting to his sentence of his death and say, Rejoice! Rejoice! Why? Because his, his hope isn't in the present. His hope is in the future. And that light momentary affliction is producing for us a weight that far outweighs the heavy situations that you face. The loss, the pain, the grief, agony, I know it can rob us of our, of our happiness and it robs us of our joy on it at times but Paul said, I want you to have a different perspective I want you to know that in this time yeah, it's affliction but in the grand scheme of eternity and in the grand scheme of glory it's just momentary it's just momentary and that glory far outweighs your affliction. And there just simply isn't any comparison. The last thing that when we consider joy, when we choose God's joy over the pursuit of pleasure or happiness, he says this. He says, be an encouragement to someone. Paul said, here's what I going to do. I'm going to be an encouragement to somebody by instilling confidence in the good work God will complete. He says, you know what Paul did? While he was in prison, under arrest, chained to a guard, uncertain of his future, Paul thought about people. Paul thought about people. Four of our uh, New Testament letters were, were called prison epistles. It's because when Paul was in prison, he wrote these, these letters to these churches. Philippians is, is one of them. Colossians is another, Ephesians, and Philemon. He wrote these letters to, because why? Because even he didn't wallow in, his, in self-pity. He wasn't thinking about how is somebody encouraging me. He thought about how can I encourage someone else? How can I encourage someone else? How can I instill confidence in someone where God has begun a good work in them and he's going to see it completed? That's what he was thinking about. He thought about someone else. Maybe that's you. Maybe in your downtime over these next few weeks, if you have any, maybe it's an opportunity for you to think about how you can encourage someone else. How you can send a text message or write an email or maybe even send a card through the mail. Maybe it's just a phone call. Maybe it's a, you know, scheduling a meeting for coffee. Whatever it is for you, it's, it's you taking this opportunity not to think about how this is affecting you, but think about how in this present circumstance, how you can encourage 
someone else. And Paul would say it this way. He says in Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, church in Philippi, and he knew them all by name. And if you read Paul's letters, he would address people personally. And he would let people know about this person and that person and how they're doing and what's going on and how they feel about them. It was just an opportunity. Paul's joy was determined by his relationship with God. Joy was a byproduct for him. And he chose when he had a lot of other options to choose from. Self-pity, grief, worry, concern, anger. He had a lot of other options to choose from, but instead he chose God's joy. And he wrote and he encouraged people. And maybe that's what you do. Maybe that's what you do. We're reminded by the psalmist who said this, this is the day which the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. This day, that doesn't feel like a good day, I know, but it's a day that the Lord made. So you're gonna choose, just like the psalmist chose, to rejoice and be glad in it. Nehemiah says it this way, for this day is holy to our Lord. This day is holy. Do not be grieved. Do not be grieved. Don't choose grief. Choose joy. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If at any other time we need, we need his strength. So choose joy. Consider your various trial. Consider joy before you consider anything else. Let's pray. Father, this is the day that you made. None of it right now, culture, environment, the vibe, it's all sort of seems and feels uncertain. People are scrambling, trying to figure out what to do and how to stay healthy. And, and God, we just want to be a church that is just a help and an encouragement to those that are maybe worried about this or that. And, but Lord, I just pray, Lord, through it, Lord, that we just choose joy. We choose joy. And we make that our response as we go through different things in our life. Knowing that you're in control over all of it. You know all of it. And so, Father, we just trust your sovereign control. And we're just going to be content. And we're going to be calm during our light afflictions. Because this light affliction doesn't compare to how glorious and amazing our future holds in heaven. And God, we're just gonna take this opportunity to choose joy by being an encouragement to someone and reminding them, reminding them that God has begun a good 
work in them, and he will see it through. And maybe that's what we need to do in this time as we consider joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for watching today.